Can the Detroit Tigers compete for the AL Central next year? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at Sleeper. Swing for the fences on Sleeper Picks, and you can win up to 100 times your money. Download the Sleeper app, use promo code LOCKEDON to get a $100 match on your first deposit. Check out Sleeper today. So a a listener of the show requested that we do a deep dive into the the Detroit Tigers. He's looking for hope because he feels like this season was a bit of a lost season and that this roster should have been better than they were. And uh, yes and no. So I think there is a path to competitiveness in the AL Central. This is not a very good division. Minnesota won it. 87 and 75, they were the only team over 500. Detroit came in second place, 78 and 84, but they also outproduced their expected record based on runs scored and runs allowed. They should have been 73 and 89. So let's look at the position players, let's look at the pitchers, and then let's fit it all together and figure out uh, how to upgrade this major league roster in 2024. So for the position players, we've covered Colt Keith and Justin Henry Malloy at length. So the September 7th show, the second segment, is all about, really just about those two guys and how Detroit has improved them to the point where they are just about ready to debut. We'll talk about them in the third segment and where they fit into the lineup, but just know that right here in the prospect diving part, we're not going to get to them. I'll put a link, if you're on YouTube, I'll put a link up here. So you can click on that to go see about those guys. But some of the other guys that are pretty highly ranked in the system, second baseman Jace Young. We've talked about him a bit, but probably in their top five prospects, if not top three, 2022 first rounder out of Texas Tech. He's the younger brother of Josh Young, who is obviously was also at Texas Tech, went to the Rangers, and is now was a front runner for Rookie of the Year in the American League along with Gunnar Henderson before he got injured. But unlike Gunnar Henderson, Josh Young is still competing in the postseason with the Rangers. Uh, They've moved on to the ALCS. Jace Young, 128 games this year between A-ball and, I'm sorry, between high A and double A. 265, 376, 502. 28 home runs, 57 extra base hits. 79 walks to 139 strikeouts and 5 of 6 on stolen bases. Jace Young isn't a conventional hitter, right? He has, like his brother, he has a little bit of unusual uh, stance, the way he sets up at the plate and things like that. Also, like his brother, he's not an amazing defender. Now, we saw this season that Josh was maybe a better defender at third than we gave him credit for. I do think that Jace will do something similar to that where as he gets into MLB and gets settled, his defense will get better because he is 
as far as like baseball intelligence, he's a very smart and instinctual baseball player. And we know that defense gets better as you rise through the minors and guys can make significant improvements to their defense at the major league level. Bobby Witt is an easy example of a guy who finished his first season as one of the worst defensive players in baseball and finished his second season as one of the best defensive players in baseball. Jace Young, probably going to end up being there at second base, has really good plate discipline. You see almost 80 walks in 128 games. Does have some issues with swing and miss, and it's something where when you watch what he does, the common assumption is going to be he's going to struggle with fastballs because of the setup, and the, the idea is, how long does it take him to get his bat into the zone when he's pulling the trigger to make a swing? Uh, when I watch him, it feels like he has more trouble with really good breaking stuff than it is just getting into the zone to catch up on fastballs. He can hit fastballs. It feels like enough. Either way, I still give it above average on both hitting, on both the hit tool and the power tool. And feels like a guy that by the end of 2024, like it really feels like he's going to be up by the end of the season in 2024. One of those, we're going to be discussing September call-up for Jace Young and leading into a 2025 potential Rookie of the Year campaign because he understands the strike zone very well. Now, when he got to A this year, 47 games in Erie, it was something where he got better in just about every regard, right? He spent less games there. He hit more home runs. He had a, the on base was the same, but his batting average was better. His slugging was better. Feels he, unless you're perfectly able to execute breaking pitches down and away uh, and hit all of your spots that he's going to do better with better pitchers and with better umpiring. So Found that really interesting. Uh, Justice Bigby had a breakout this year. We talked about him a little bit in the past, but 2021 19th rounder out of Western Carolina. Got on 115 games between high A and triple A this year and is currently in the Arizona Fall League. 343, 405, 537 slash line. 19 home runs, 45 extra base hits and for and 115 games for Justice Bigby. 42 walks to 77 strikeouts, 6 of 8 on stolen bases. And when you look at Big B, uh, it's something he's settled now as far as a corner outfield type. He had played some first base early in his career all the way up to last year. He spent the majority of his time when he was in single A Lakeland with the Flying Tigers. He spent most of his time at first base, but now he settled in the outfield, didn't play a single bit of first base all year. So something where it's okay. We're obviously this is this is where you go now. This is where you belong. And we're locked into you being a corner outfield type at the next level. And the big change for Big B, I think, was the power potential, right? He was seen as a guy that was very much a contact over power type. And it was something where he's going to he have hard contact, but it's going to be line drives, right? Uh, it's he, he has a pretty tight, compact swing, so it's not like he's got a bunch of places for pitchers to exploit. And something where it feels like his future is going to be 
a corner outfield guy that runs good batting averages, good on base percentages, and good enough power, right? Uh, you're probably not winning the World Series with Justice Bigby as one of your starting outfielders, but second division starting corner outfielder, perfectly fine. I, I don't necessarily think the speed is a significant asset. For him, and that's something I noticed with a lot of these top prospects in this system, they've got a lot of five of six on stolen bases, six of eight on stolen bases, six of seven on stolen bases. And to me, that's really, if you're still with less than 10 bases in the minors, then the speed isn't a huge part of your game. He does feel like he's pretty good at going first to third on a base hit and things like that, but none of these guys really have speed as a big component of their game. Uh, same thing with the next guy, catcher Dylan Dingler, second rounder out of 2020 and for out of Ohio State. Got 89 games this year between single A, double A, and triple A. 256, 361, 478. 16 home runs, 39 extra base hits, 42 walks to 105 strikeouts, and 6 of 7 on stolen bases. The big thing here, it feels like they need to see more offensive competency from him. He's pretty good as far as speed goes. Not for a catcher. He's good period. In college at Ohio State, he played outfield, including center field. But as a professional, he's been just a catcher. And yet he doesn't necessarily steal a ton. Again, he's another guy that'll go first to third on a base hit, things like that. And when you watch what he does at the plate, uh, he's caught about 33% of base stealers, only had six pass balls in 580 innings. Defensively, he's really good. The arm is strong. The pop time isn't great, but the arm is strong. He just, he struggles with strikeouts. He struggles with swing and miss. And it's something where your power tool is only as good as your hit tool. I feel like he could be an average power hitter. He just hasn't made enough contact. And so... That's going to be the big question. When he comes up next year, it's going to all matter about how well he's hitting when he starts the 2024 season in AAA. Because, and we're going to get this in the third segment, you have some questions about catching. You had a breakout from Jake Rogers. But you've got personnel questions back there and long-term. And for Dylan Dingler, the defense is really good. The athleticism is good. The blocking is all of that. It's just you've got to hit more. And I don't know when he's going to do it. Well, hopefully there'll be a big jump in that over the summer. In just a minute, let's get to some of the pitchers in this system because there are quite a few guys that are very promising. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Sleeper. We are in the MLB playoffs, which means the clock is ticking on your chance to win 100 times your money on daily fantasy baseball. The game has never been more exciting than it is right now. You've got studs like Ronald Acuna Jr., Mookie Betts, although as of time of recording, they are one game away from elimination because Betts and Freeman haven't done much with the Dodgers and Arizona has been absolutely raking and running. But either way, you pick more or less on stats for these stars. Home runs, hits, strikeouts, and more, you can get up to a 100 times payout on Sleeper because they have dynamic payouts. It's not just a preset multiplier for like for however many legs you have in a thing. Each guy has personalized payouts based on their individual odds of doing the thing. And so you can win up to 100 times your money. You can get more money on less picks than other apps with Sleeper. So 
Use promo code Locked On. You'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Now, terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms used for details, but Sleeper's currently operational in over 30 states, so check out Sleeper today. Okay, so looking at the pitchers on this team, uh, right-hand pitcher Jackson Job is a guy that we've talked about on the show quite a few times. He's in the AFL right now. He came up in the AFL recap show we did on Tuesday. And not going to go into a ton of detail because he's the guy everybody knows, right? 2021 first rounder out of high school, started 16 games this year, uh, went 2-4 and four with a 2-8-1 ERA in 64 innings, had 84 strikeouts, so 11.8 per nine, to six walks, 0.8 per nine. Obviously, absolutely ridiculous numbers. And granted, it was a smaller sample size. That's part of the reason he's in the AFL, so that he can get some additional innings. He had a lower back injury, really held him out for a long time to begin the year. And so that's why he started off in rookie ball and went all the way through to get to double A. Slider is phenomenal. Fastball's a plus pitch. Curveball, changeup. He's got four legitimate weapons that you're using here. It's just questions about lower back injuries and 20-year-olds are always a little scary. So hopefully he makes it through the AFL season okay. I want to talk about two other guys that have stood out. And the first one is Ty Madden, 2021 first rounder out of Texas, University of Texas. Got 26 games this year, all in double A with double A Erie. He finished the year here last year. Came back for a very full season in double A Erie. Went three and four with a 3-4-3 ERA in 118 innings. 146 strikeouts, so 11.1 per nine, which is better than he had done in West Michigan, so high A, last year. Significantly better. He was at 8.7 strikeouts per nine last year in high A. He goes to 11.1 in double A. Also had 50 walks, so 3.8 per nine. The walks were also up. He had 2.7 walks per nine in high A. Uh, Gave up 16 home runs on the season. And when you look at Ty, the thing here is you're looking at, okay, fastball slider is the bread and butter here. It's these two, it's these two big pitches and the fastball sits 94, 95, can touch 99. And he's got really good vertical break on it as far as it carrying up in the zone and having a lot of life. I've seen some things that say it's as much as 18 inches. So really good vertical break. And it's something where they specifically worked on that with him to fix both the spin efficiency, the movement, so the overall shape ends up being better. He did a couple different things. You know, he uh, this is the you know the offseason. He lowered his arm slot. He changed his release point. Adjusted to a different point of the mound as far as where on the rubber he is. And so you combine that with the slider. It's mid eighties. Kind of has that two-plane break down and away. So not a sweeper, but not just a vertical breaking gyro kind of thing. Uh, he's got a change up again as well. Gives you another direction, breaking the other breaking the other way. Is still sitting mid-80s. So velocity band-wise, it's in the same velocity band. But he's got a, ch- uh, a curveball, vertical breaking curveball in the lower 80s. He has a cutter. He added that last year. That's in the upper 80s. And between everything you have, you've got multiple velocity bands, you've got multiple directions, you've got it all covered. So a lot of good pieces 
feels like he's a tailor-made number three. And I think next year, he opens in AAA. And so the question ends up being, how long does he need in AAA before you get him into the bigs? And that's all going to depend on what the control does. It feels like when he went to the cutter this year, that's where some of the walk issues came in. And then also guys that wouldn't always chase the slider. If they could recognize the slider out of the hand, he ended up either getting walks or he had to come back into the zone to attack them. And that's where he got lit up with home runs. A couple things to work on in AAA, but other way, I like Ty Madden. I like what he was able to do. And then to me, the breakout pitching prospect this year was Troy Melton, 2022 fourth rounder out of San Diego State. Started off in A-ball, ended up back half of the year, like two-thirds of the season in high A. But 22 starts, 23 total appearances, 3-1 and one with a 2.74 ERA in 92 innings pitched. 94 strikeouts, so 9.2 per nine, to 24 walks, 2.3 per nine, and five home runs allowed. And what he's doing here, it's four-seam, sinker, slider, change. Uh, the thing that I notice with Melton is, so he used to be a catcher, right? He converted from catcher. And so it feels like the sequencing, which thinking about a catcher, you'd think he'd have better sequencing, but a lot of college catchers aren't calling their own games. A lot of prep catchers aren't calling their own games. And so it feels like like he knows the fastball was really good, right? He uh, He's talked before about the Tigers showed him all of the the high-tech analytics stuff about the fastball, and he realized how good of a pitch it was. But it's something where the sequencing needs to be a little bit better. He sometimes gets in a rut where either he's just, he's reading off of, are they swinging or taking? And so he's just sticking with two pitches. And when he sees them start to swing more, he'll switch off the first one to the second one and get a chase out of it. And just not necessarily working all those pitches in together. But the talents are there. And I think that's ultimately a good thing, right? Because he's young and he's raw and he has the ability to get better. And you can still see the good results despite only having those two pitches. Now, when you break down per the individual levels, you can see when he started facing better hitters, and high A that could uncode the sequences a little better, pick up on the tendencies, he didn't do as well, right? Strikeouts, the strikeout rate, it's a little what we care about here. The strikeout rate in Lakeland in single A, 11.1 strikeouts per nine. The strikeout rate in high A, 8.4 strikeouts per nine. And the walks ticked up a little bit as well. Two walks per nine in Lakeland, two and a half walks per nine in West Michigan. A little bit less effectiveness on both getting swing and miss and not walking guys because they could pick up on that sequence in a little bit better. So something he's definitely going to have to work on. As I understand, he absolutely under kind of understands that. They've talked to him about it. That's something that he's said he's going to work on this offseason. So very excited to see what Troy Melton can do once you mix some of that stuff in. In just a minute, we're going to talk about this 2024 roster how to get all of these guys in here together at the same time, and what that's going to look like. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Jace Medical. 
the Jace case is their innovation. It is five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. This is very valuable for a lot of different scenarios. We have friends who are travelers. They like to do international travel. They like to go out into a national park for a week and just go off the grid, all kind of stuff like that. They're great examples of people who could use the Jace case. We also have friends who live in areas that are prone to flooding or some hurricanes, tornadoes, whatever it might be. Also a scenario where you're in a great case, a great position for a Jace case. You go online, fill out a simple form. One of their board certified physicians reviews it, approves it, and it's sent to a partner pharmacy to be filled and mailed to you. And in this case, you get five different life-saving antibiotics, again, for emergency use, as well as an explainer guide that tells you exactly what situations to take which medications for, and a handy video that breaks down everything as well, and information to reach them directly if you have questions. And if there's some sort of natural disaster, emergency, you're off the grid, whatever, you have life-saving antibiotics that can get you over, tide you over until you can get to modern medical care. So get $20 off these life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using code LOCKEDON at checkout at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Okay, so looking at the 2024 Detroit Tigers. There's a couple things you've got to figure out. There's questions around pitching and there's questions around the position players on the field and where guys are going to fit in. Looking at the pitching, the big question is what happens with Eduardo Rodriguez. We saw they tried to trade hit, hit him to the Dodgers. He vetoed the trade. He has a $15.4 million salary for this season. He has an $18 million salary for 2024 with an, a player opt-out. And the common assumption is that he's going to opt out of the deal. If he does, that means you still have what appears to be the makings of a good rotation. You just don't necessarily have that guy at the very top. Uh, Tariq Skubal came back from surgery and looked really good. And there's the potential, I guess, of him being him being an ace. From when he came back on July 4th to the end of the season, he had a 280 ERA across 80 and a third innings with a 32.9% strikeout rate. That was the second best mark in baseball behind only Spencer Strider. He also had the 11th lowest walk rate and the second lowest home run per nine inning rate. And so if that's the new Tariq Skubal with the fastball averaging 96 instead of what it was at 94 last year before he got hurt, the sinker going from 94 to 96. If that's the new Tariq Skubal, oh, and the changeup. The changeup looks so much better. He threw it more often, like 10% more, but he got like a 50% whiff percentage on the changeup, and he replaced, that usage took away from the slider, which was probably his worst pitch. And if he is that same guy next year, Tariq Skubal is a number one pitcher. He is the top of your rotation. If you don't have Eduardo Rodriguez, you have Skubal, you have Matt Manning and Reese Olsen. We're assuming Casey Mize comes back from his Tommy John. And so the question there is, what is that fifth starter? Is that Ty Madden? Again, finished the year in double A. It's not Troy Melton. He finished the year in high A. 
Jackson Job finished the year in AA in the Arizona Fall League, you're probably not having him in the rotation right away. And you've got to figure out a little bit of that pitching. What happens there? As far as who is your fifth starter, and then who are your depth guys if you have injury? When you go to the injured list, and you look at who's on the injured list as far as pitchers, there's not really, other than Casey Mize, there's not anything glaring that says this is your number five starter. In the minors, you've got, I think it was Spencer Turnbull came back from injury, was sent down to AAA. Sawyer Gibson Long looked good in a small sample, was sent back to AAA. Mason Engler looked okay in a small sample, was sent back to AAA. Wilmer Flores is in the AFL. There's was in AAA. There's a couple different options you have here, but nobody stands out as this is the guy. This is the number one, or this is the number five for you to fill out your rotation. So a little bit of questions there, and then. Offensively, you've got to figure out where you're going to fit in a lot of these pieces. Okay, where is Colt Keith going to play? Where is Justin Henry Malloy going to play? And when you look at this, a lot of it comes down to how happy are you with the guys that are sitting here? Matt Veerling played a lot of third base for you, right? Matt Veerling, so did Nick Maton, but... Matt Veerling and Nick Maton. Veerling batted 261 with a 388 slug. Maton batted 173 with a 305 slug. And can he play third? Do you have to put him at second base? What happens? Really, he's probably best at first base, but you've got Spencer Torkelson there. Justin Henry Malloy's played some third base, but he's really a corner outfield type, and it's okay. Kerry Carpenter had, I'm going to call it a breakout, 811 OPS over 118 games in right field. Riley Green started looking like that dude all of a sudden. 288 batting average in 99 games. And so it's a, you put him in left field for now, perfectly fine. Catcher, Dylan Dingers going to come up, come up eventually. Jake Rogers, despite only batting 221, to me, had a good year. Uh, it was something where, like you have to understand, he he defensively, he was a top 10 catcher in a lot of categories. Blocking. Framing, I think he was top 12, 13. Pop time wasn't great. Arm strength wasn't really that great. But offensively, a lot of the inputs that lead to good hitting performance were there. He lowered his chase rate. He lowered his percentage of pitches, like of swings at pitches outside the zone. But he finished with a 221 batting average and a 286 on base. He did hit 21 home runs. Came out to 97 WRC+. Obviously, there's room for improvement, but I think that this is going to get better. He finished 15th um, uh, offensively among all catchers that batted 300 times last year. His defense was top 10, and so he finished as the number 11 catcher despite a 221 batting average. I legitimately think Jake Rogers is going to have a better year next year, and so you maybe don't have to rush Dylan Dingler and then it gives you a little bit of flexibility because when you look at when you look at the catching situation, Carson Kelly is on his ARB four year. He was a super two. They've got a three and a half million dollar club option for Carson Kelly. Honestly, I probably exercised that with the intention of trading him at the deadline. Uh, Javi Baez. This is a big question: Is can we fix Javi Baez? He has a. Uh, he has the ability to opt out of his deal. There's no way he's going to do that. And now you're in a scenario where 
Javi Baez committed a bunch of errors, but was still defensively valuable. But offensively, he had the lowest OPS, I think second lowest OPS in all of baseball among qualified hitters. Javi Baez this year batted 222, 267, 325. That's a 593 OPS. He struck out 125 times in 136 games, which honestly was a lower strikeout number than I expected to hear. But it's just, it's a far cry away from 2018 where he was the runner-up in the MVP voting after batting 290 with an 881 OPS and 34 home runs. So how do you fix Javi Baez? The organization has talked about it is a full team effort. They've isolated some things as far as fastballs. He's just not hitting fastballs like he used to. There's a question there about is that bat speed or is that something else? He's also reportedly had some issues with his vision. So there's some looks, some discussion about getting that fixed as well. Going out, is it some sort of laser surgery? Eddie Rosario for the Braves had to do that in 2022. Is it some sort of glasses contacts thing? What might that be? But fixing Javi Baez is crucial because you owe Javi Baez a lot of money. He's two years into a six-year, $140 million deal. You can't just consider this a sunk cost, a lost cause, and give up. I think he's owed something like $98 million left on this deal. He, again, defensively, despite committing too many errors, he's still a plus defender at shortstop. But $23 million is a lot to pay for a guy that defensively is good, but uh, has th- a lot of throwing errors and can't hit with a lick. And so it's fixable. It feels like it's fixable. The Tigers are committed to doing that. You fix Javi Baez, even half the way. You don't have to bring him all the way back to what he was as an MVP candidate. Just make him halfway as good as he used to be. You add in a couple other offensive pieces in your corner outfield, in your middle infield or at third base, and all of a sudden, you have a team that it feels should be able to better contend in the AL Central, especially with the, the state that the Chicago White Sox are in right now. This, the lack of power and the slump that Cleveland is having, and Kansas City's inability to figure out their rotation. Fantastic week this week. One more show coming up. We're breaking down the prospect team of the year, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, if you have questions for the show ideas, this came from a listener. Tons of ways to get them to us. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. Email, Discord, subtext, lots of different ways. They're all in the episode description. They're all in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.